0: book of Acts gives a very clear and helpful formula for successful living, which God wants for every one of His people. The evening message will unfold, Lord willing, that particular principle of successful living, which I think will make a great difference in your daily life. Let us pray before we read and interpret God's Word. God of truth, reveal to these hearts of ours through the reading and meditation upon your truth those principles and insights, convictions, which you have for us from the foundation of the world placed in your word. We would appropriate them, Lord. We would live by them. But we need your illuminating presence and work of your spirit. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. While we were yet helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Why, one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man one will dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we are now justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Not only so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received our reconciliation. In the Advent series on the character of the God who sends His Son to be our Savior, we interrupted the progress of study in the book of Romans. Returning to that now, we find that it answers a question left at the end of the Advent series, which was, how do we implement and take advantage of the character qualities we found in God over these six Sundays? What relation do they have to our daily life? You'll notice in your Bible that the chapter 5 begins after a blank space. There is a break there left in the English text to show that the subject matter has a transition here. The reason of the transition is that justification by faith has been clearly set forth and explained and supported from Scripture and from the life of Abraham and David. Now Paul is addressing the same question we have at the end of the Advent series. Since these things are so, how do we take this theory this doctrine, and actually implement it. What lasting, real effect does it have as we live out our life? And we find from this paragraph, verses 1 to 11, that four great privileges are given to us by virtue of God's gift of justification. In fact, we could go on to say, that everything that a believer needs to live in this world is provided for him in God's gift of justification. That is, God has packaged right into the gift of justification by faith all the resources that a believer will need in his pilgrimage through life. We don't have to go to other schools of thought or ways of self-improvement or mental gymnastics. We have only to return to our basis of justification by faith to find everything we need for effective daily living. What are those needs? Well, we need to be relieved of tension, don't we? And the tension, being relieved, is called here in chapter 5, verse 1, peace with God. We are justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the picture is that there was an enmity, a hostility between God and man, And the reason was a barrier which we erected our own human sin. God saw that and was grieved by it and wrathful against it, and it separated us from Him. But the peace of God is an action which God has taken in which He removed the barrier of sin and brought about again the possibility of harmony with Him so that we can enter into a union with God because this awful wall of sin has been taken away not by anything we have done or achieved, but by the gift of justification by faith. The peace is not given simply because of forgiveness, but because of justification, which means that God has set us right with Himself on the basis of the death of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Life is really meeting, said J.H. Oldham. Life is meeting. And when a man or a woman meets God and the barriers are gone, peace prevails. Peace with God. Not only is it a condition which God creates, but the peace is also a feeling. Because our consciences are... Mirrors of the face of God. And if His face is angry toward us, our conscience knows that. Our consciences are echoes of the voice of God. And if He is speaking wrath to us, we feel it. But if, on the other hand, He has established peace between Himself and us, we feel that too. And so, not only is this an objective condition, but a subjective joy and rest and inner. Contentment because we know that in the past our sins are forgiven, that in the present all events are being overreeled for good, and in the future nothing is going to be able to separate us from the love of God. And so we have this harmony, this lack of tension, this inner Union with God, which is described here as peace with God. This is the foundation of everything on which you build your Christian life. You must have this in order to proceed, peace with God. The worldling has a different kind of peace. The secular man has a kind of peace with God. It comes because he has ignored God. He's gone by him, set him aside, set aside his claims, and therefore has built his life secularly, that is, without God. And so he has a peace because he has ruled him out of his universe and is not hearing his voice. He stifled his conscience, and for him, in some sense, God is dead. But that peace that the secular man has is temporary. The peace which the Christian has, established by God, given by Him, through justification, is permanent. Permanent peace. The worldly man's peace will falter. His tribulation will be permanent. The Christian's tribulation is temporary, and his peace is permanent. The reason we know it's permanent is that God has crossed the big obstacle which was our sin. And he did it with the costly price, which was the blood of his own son. And having achieved peace at the very expense of the blood of his own son, everything else beyond that is nothing. If he saved us at the cost of his son's death, what will he do for us at his son's life? And the Son of God did not remain in the tomb, but rose and ascended and is at the right hand of God and ever lives to make intercession for us. And so there's our peace, that nothing can shake it. It is permanent. The big battle is behind us. Christ fought it at the expense of His death. And He lives now ever to make intercession for us. Now, there are people who would like to have peace with God, but they don't want to do it through Christ. Somehow, that seems too traditional, too easy. They want to be creative and original, and they think that pleases God. But notice the text says, we are justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is to say that any other means of entrance into this peace, any seeking of entrance apart from Jesus Christ will be utterly repugnant in the sight of God. It will incur His wrath, not His pleasure, because He has established a way costly in the loving death of His own Son. We cannot invent some new way of access to the peace of God. Others might say we would like to have peace through Christ, but not by faith, thank you. They would rather have it by following the example of Christ, or by doing the works of Christ, or by mystic meditation on Christ, or by some other means, but not by saving faith. Yet it is faith which God has chosen to be the thing which pleases him and which opens the doors of his mercy and by which he grants the gift of justification. That gift is received by faith. Faith is the hand of a beggar reaching out to take the gift from the hand of a king. Without faith there is no justification and without justification there is no peace. But we have peace. And the great privilege of the believer, which is built right into his justification, is that he has peace with God. And the text gives us other privileges. I hasten to mention them. The privilege in verse 2. We rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. Joy, the great privilege, of the justified you know when you think of it what else does a man need to be joyful than to have god as his friend if you really believed that you had god at your right hand as your friend wouldn't you be the happiest of creatures and so he's saying we rejoice because god's hostility has been taken away and he is with us and the basis of our joy is not the circumstances around us, whether good or bad, but the fact that we have peace with God, and that it is built upon a foundation that will last no matter what happens. That's why the Christian life is one that is filled with singing, and the fountain of all our hymns is the joy we have in Christ, because He's made us new creatures He's taken away the threat of doom and disaster. He's removed judgment from our heads. He's opened up to us limitless resources from which we can draw for all of the battles and events of life who wouldn't be happy with such riches at his disposal. Oh, what a gift we have. We ought to stand and sing about this gift. It is immediate. Justification is not gradual. It's given immediately upon faith. It is perfect. It's not a matter of degrees. Justification is given completely at the moment it is given. Not like sanctification, which is in progress, but it is given completely. All you will ever have of justification is it in an instant. It is perfect. Cannot be any better, cannot be improved upon. It is divine, that is, only God does it. And it is utterly enjoyable. There's nothing about the gift of justification that has a shadow of any kind. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's what set Paul and the Romans and every true believer since then singing. Now you see, since our relation to God, has been changed. Our relation to the whole world, to everything has changed. That includes our trials. Even our trials look different. They don't look the way they appear when you look through the eyes of the justified. Because the justified person counts it all joy enter into tribulation it's not simply that we're going to be happy with a stiff upper lip no matter what happens that's not the Christian position the Christian position is that you're happy because of tribulation because of it count it all joy my brethren why because with this new position our tribulations result in more and more joy let me explain. When you come into a sickness or a pressure, you're taken off of yourself again and you put your trust in God. You call on Him for help. And when He helps you, you endure. And when you see that you're enduring, you realize, yes, I really am in Christ. It does work. And you realize that your position in Christ is genuine and you have greater joy. And the cycle goes on and around. It's called the chain of Christian suffering, which means that suffering produces character, which produces hope. Well, the Christian does not look at suffering the way the world does, but he uses it to produce more joy and more testimony. That's why Paul wrote to us that by much tribulation we would enter into the kingdom of heaven that God would try us as righteous to see whether we delighted only in Him or whether we really wanted His gifts. But when we see tribulation coming down the road, we open our arms and take it and use it for more joy. But we must hurry. The joy of the chain of tribulation results also in another privilege for the Christian, the privilege of hope. Every creature needs hope. Without hope, we wither. Hope deferred, says Proverbs, makes the heart sick. We need something to look forward to, don't we? Hope, every soul needs that. And here we're told that character produces hope and we rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And all through this passage there is this note of hopefulness which is the confident expectation of future good. That's what Christian hope is. The hope of the Christian is a two-stage hope. It's like a a rocket. There's the blast-off stage and then the orbiting stage. The blast-off stage of your hope is that moment when you perceive Christ before you with his open arms. And laying down your own efforts and your own righteousness, you run out to him by faith and in repentance you are justified. You have taken your eyes off yourself and you've placed them all on Christ how wonderful He is, how strong He is, how much He can do. And you're in His hands and you're filled with hope of what He's going to do with your life. That's the first stage, the blast-off stage. Then after you're into the Christian life a while and God wants you into the orbit of hope, He shows you how you have successfully endured trouble, how you have weathered temptation. And testing. Now you're not looking so much to Christ, you're looking at yourself and you're seeing, yes, God has enabled me to come this far. How good He is. That confirms your hope. You really are Christ's, it is working. And the hope goes to a deeper, more mature level of hope. This is your second hope, your orbiting hope. So, you have both these stages here. The hope first of sharing the glory of God, and then hope from the wrath to come. The Christian has utterly no fear of the wrath of God because he is justified by faith. Since it is a gift of God that is given to us, from the very moment we receive God's justification, All those threatenings that are around us, from them we are preserved. And throughout our life, the wrath of God is held from us by the blood of Christ. And when we stand at last at the great white throne, and Christ says to some, Depart from me, for I never knew you. We know that he will not say such words to us. He will say to us, Come, ye blessed of my Father, enter into the kingdom prepared for you. The hope of the Christian is the confident expectation of future good, by which we mean that he who is able to keep us from falling will at the last present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding great joy. Now you see, if our hope were based upon our own performance, or our own achievement, or the constancy of our own love, we could have no great assurance of hope. Because while today I may behave acceptably and be worthy of escaping the wrath of God, who knows what tomorrow will bring? I may slip. And you have no hope if you are trusting in your own virtues and in your own righteousness. The only person who can have true hope is the one who's trusting only in the constancy of God's love as it is given in Jesus Christ. Did you know that without this hope, this true and genuine hope of Christ in justification, you cannot witness? If you don't have hope in your heart, you're no tool of witness. Because the person around you, he's despairing just like you are. The only witness that has any radiance and any value is the person who is utterly sure that he's free from the wrath to come, that one day Christ will stand before the Father and say, Here is Jim, my friend. See how like me he has become. Take him and give him the crown of life. When you have that kind of hope, you've got something to witness about. Get the hope which is your privilege. It is built into justification. It is yours to possess. And there is one last but very important resource given to us in this passage. We were made for love, but in our distortion. We have tarnished love and spoiled it, twisted its ideas and redefined it to fit our own lusts. But the love of God has not changed. And we read here that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Oh, do you see that? The King James is shed abroad, communicated freely, lavished upon us, not trickled, but freely given. This love of God has come into our hearts so that now we are conscious of His loving presence in us. We are persuaded within our hearts that we are the objects of the love of God. I don't think it does a great deal of good to say to someone, Smile, God loves you. There may be some usefulness in that. But the natural man, the man without Christ, cannot perceive God's love. He does not know himself as an object of the love of God. The only way that can be known is for one to have experienced the gift of justification. Then he can know himself loved of God, that precious and warm, cherished feeling, the eternal God who made me has also persuaded me of his great love. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. Oh, everyone wants to, needs to, longs to be loved. And many of you are starving for love because you have not entered in to the privilege of the love that is already in your justification if you would but adopt and appropriate it for yourselves. And God chose an unprecedented, unparalleled example. It is as if he looked everywhere to try to find an illustration of his love, and he found it. Why, he said, some people might die for a good man or a good cause. But who would die for what is obnoxious and repulsive to him? For that one I will die. So while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And in this way, God set forth his love. The word means the same way that a merchant puts out his merchandise on the street so you can see it. He puts it all out there so you can see it. God commends his love to us. He characterizes his love by dying while we were sinners, while we were spiritually helpless so that there was no benefit to Him from us. At the right time, God commended His love in that Christ died for the ungodly. I think we'll spend eternity adoring and mystified over the marvel of that saving love of God in Christ. You see, that love forms the love with which we love each other. Having trouble loving your mate, love him with the love of God. Having trouble loving your neighbor, your partner in business, let the love of God be expressed through you We don't have to invent our love. This is the resource of the Christian life, to love with the love which is implied and found in our gift of justification by faith alone. Oh, friends, these four privileges are all the legitimate effects of justification by faith. But many Christians live below their privileges. They are weak Christians because they do not take advantage of all that God has provided for them. They limp and halt when they should mount up with wings as eagles. Is that you? Do you have but a weak perception of joy in the midst of suffering, of love, of hope, of peace? A little faith will bring your soul to heaven. But I call you today to a great faith to bring heaven into your soul so that you can live now in the world with this justification, forming the great foundation and resource with which you approach everyday living. If today there's one or more here who... Have not known the blessing of justification by faith. I call you to it. It is God's work, yes, His gift. But you are not passive. You're not a block of wood in the carpenter's hands. No. The command from God is be ye reconciled to God. You must repent, you must get a conviction of your sin. Realize how your sin has separated you from God and with tears of repentance bring it to Christ and offer it up to him. It's all you have to give. And he will point to the wounds in his hands and in his side, the nail prints, the crown of thorns, and he will say, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more then with the gift of justification live out your life with peace with joy with hope with love for that's what you were meant to be and to do let us pray gracious and loving father How richly you have provided for us an entrance into these marvelous privileges. How weakly we have appropriated them. How dimly we have lived the Christian life in the midst of such plenty. Grant, O Lord, that your servants gathered here in worship and praise may have a new grasp on the peace you have afforded them in justification, a new joy that you have given them by your divine action, a new hope because of the permanence of what you have done in Christ, and a new love as they ponder the wonder of the gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let the unredeemed heart embrace you too and find the gift of justification to be utterly adequate through all their days. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his grace to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace now and forevermore. Amen.